When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to continue to go through Michigan's football schedule and our second Big Ten game. Michigan is traveling to Madison, Wisconsin to take on those dirty Wisconsin Badgers. We're going to talk to Matt LaPay, play-by-play voice of the Wisconsin Badgers here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. They play jump around at the end of the third quarter. It's always fun for us to look next door, especially those the first-time guys who come through here, maybe in a non-conference game, where they feel that press box sway a little oh, bit, goodness. wondering what's going on. They're feeling a little uncomfortable. It's a, it's a hard tradition, I think, to be to the Big Ten or anywhere else. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends, and I'm excited to tell you about some things that we have going on here uh, on Men- MGO Blue Podcast, and that is Tuesday's Conquering Heroes. I had a conversation with Jerry Clayton and James Henry, the head coaches of Michigan Track and Field. They are on their way out, or actually they're, they're there now for the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships. Those are going on this weekend. Uh, So if you get a chance, take a listen there. Wednesday on Defend the Block, which is Brian uh, Bush, is uh, the host of that one. Kim Barnes-Arico, the head coach of Michigan women's basketball, joined him as well as new assistant coach Harry Rafferty. Excited to listen to those. So if you missed them, Go back. You can always catch up on that as well as anything that you've missed here on In the Trenches. But now I'm going to bring in the voice of Michigan basketball, the play-by-play voice, and that is one Mr. Brian Bush. Mr. Bush, how are you today? I'm good, John. It's hard to believe when it comes to conquering heroes, that's it. 
for this academic season, that is it. The NCAA track and field outdoor championships. Uh, obviously, the softball college world series is just wrapping up this week. You've got baseball's college world series coming up next week. Unfortunately, Michigan not able to make that similar Cinderella run, but everything got in. Michigan won a national championship in women's gymnastics, had a, uh, several other really close calls, some incredible seasons. We got here. We got to the end. It, it's somewhat hard to believe considering where it all started. It certainly is. I mean, when the football season was canceled, it, it threw doubt on the entire academic year. Were they going to move the football season to the spring? Were they even going to try? Were they just going to scrap everything and say, hey, we'll pick it up again in the fall of 21? Um, we were able to get everything in. There were some bumps along the way, but I, my hat's off to Ward Manuel. Um, for his leadership and what he's been able to do throughout this very challenging time for Michigan athletics um, and for the medical personnel, all of those that have put in so much time, energy, thought, and you know, making rules, revising rules, and trying to give these student-athletes every opportunity possible. It has been an unbelievable year, one that nobody, everybody would probably love to forget, but nobody will ever be able to forget what has happened in, obviously, 2020 and at the very beginning of 21. Yeah, so there are plenty of conversations with coaches on Conquering Heroes, and normally the back half of those interviews are, are probably time-specific, but John did a great job really all year long of asking about the uniqueness of this year at the outset of those conversations, so definitely worth if you're traveling, taking a long road trip, listening back to some of those, it really was unique. And that ties into our our start of seven from 77, John, with you know this being the end. You're embedded so deeply into this athletic department as a whole. How challenging was it behind the scenes? And what do you think Michigan as a whole, the athletic department, and, and some of these coaches and players can take from this year, whether it's gratitude or experience or knowledge or, or just the weight of being able to get through challenging times, what can they take from all of this? Well, gosh, there's so much. And, and it's, you know, I do encourage people to go back, listen to all of the coaches, because I, I, I did want to make a record of what the experience was like for every single team that and coach that I had a chance to talk to. And they all had very similar things to say. And I think the one thing that stood out to me was, the resiliency and toughness of the student athletes that they, they understood their perspective didn't necessarily have to change, but maybe it did a little bit on the privilege that they have of continuing to perform at a very high level and to compete for championships and to go through everything that they went through that it just, it highlights how special it is to be a student athlete how special it is to be a student athlete at the University of Michigan and for the coaches. And I think I could say this for every single one of them, the privilege that it is to be able to work with and coach and recruit some of the best talent around the world, not just in the country, but around the world. Yeah, there's no doubt. So props to everybody, especially the spring sport student athletes, because they basically got nothing this time last year, they didn't get a full season like the fall. They didn't get the majority of the season. I know it was really tough for the winter sport athletes because some of them didn't get a chance to finish their postseason. But the spring, I mean, they barely played, if at all, and they were right back into, we're not sure what's going to happen. So props to everybody. So number two, John, as we look ahead to 21-22, uh, really the only thing that's firmly locked in from a schedule standpoint is football. 
I know you saw that the ticket prices on sale dates came out for the big house, hoping for that full capacity. You can check that out on mgoblue.com. So I know we're all anticipating. Tell us, less than three months out, what are the players doing as we sit here in mid-June? Well, right now they are in in mid-June. They're back on campus because most of them have summer classes. And so they're back trying to either catch up on things that maybe they put off um, during the normal calendar, academic calendar year, uh, or trying to get ahead um, because of what's coming in the fall. And that's obviously football season. And they're working out every single day um, with uh, um, you know Coach Herbert in the weight room and his staff. They're watching film, should be watching film, um, and getting together in terms of position groups. And I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. The quarterbacks – they have to be the leaders of this offense. They have to get guys together and say, hey, let's go out for a seven-on-seven. Hey, let's give the defensive backs a call. Let's give the linebackers a call. Let's make sure that we can have a player's run session so that I can continue to work on my time. I can continue to work on my delivery. I continue to see what what guys are doing and how they're doing it. Um, and the offensive linemen as well. They've got to be able to get together, continue to build that camaraderie, and get together with the defense. Aiden Hutchinson is a senior. He needs to be one of those guys that says, hey, you know, let's go. Zach Zinter, come on. I want to do a little one-on-one. I want to work on this move. I want I want to see this from you. And and same with, with Zach. Hey, you know, Aiden, give me a wide look. Do all of those different Different things because now is the time to master your craft. It does not matter your position. You have all the time in the world. You have time in the weight room. You have time in the in the film room to watch film. But it's time to work on all of those little things that you heard at the end of the the football season. Hey, we got to do this better. Um, whether it's pad level, whether it's hand placement, whether it's footwork. And this is the time where you get to work on all of those little things because when you start fall camp, you have to hit the ground running and it's more about big picture items at that point. And you're, you can still work on all of those little things, but now is the time to perfect some of those. Number three on seven from 77. Speaking of getting uh, going with certain things, recruiting, we talked about it a lot last week is visits and speeches and camps and all that are back Michigan has organized a couple of football camps, one last week, one coming up this weekend. For the lay people out there, take us through what exactly happens in that and the value both from the school and from the participants' perspective. Well, from the participants, and here's one thing that I think college coaches and and Jim Harbaugh has always been a proponent of this and a huge, um, you know, a, a, a huge part of this of coaching the coaches. And so, yeah, you're out there coaching the players, these high school players that want to get better for their senior year. They want to be seen by Michigan. They want to be seen by major college programs. So they're out there giving it their all. But it's it's about safety. We are living in one of the safest times to play the game of football. And I know that there's a lot of conversation about head injuries. There's a lot of conversation about targeting and some of the penalties. But we are living, whether it's it's equipment um, it's skill, it's technique, it's all of those things. We're living in a very safe time to play the game of football, and a lot of that has to do with, hey, the NFL does things a certain way, and they want to make sure that their players are healthy and play as long as possible. Same with college, and it all trickles down to the high school coaches. When they learn from, hey, this is what they're doing at Michigan, this is what they're doing at Wisconsin or uh, you know Northwestern, we need to teach our kids that same way because it's a better, it's a more efficient way to practice. It's a safer way to practice. It's a safer way to teach this skill. And when you 
when you look at it and you say, okay, well, we can do that at every single position, that is a huge benefit for the game of football, is making sure that they learn those techniques and skills in middle school and in high school, that they're taught the right way so that when they get to college, you don't have to reteach it, but they're safer at those younger ages. Um, But for the players, like I mentioned, it's about getting a chance to show your wares. What type of player am I? And it's about building relationship. For the coaches, it's building relationships with those high school coaches. It's building relationships with those high school players. And even if that player decides to go somewhere else or if they don't go and play college football at all, that interaction could pay off in an invisible way later on. Hey, you know, you were my teammate and, and all of a sudden, you know, you didn't go play college football, but what was it like talking to uh, Mike Hart? What was it like talking to Ron Bellamy? What was it like talking to Jim Harbaugh? And when those individuals have positive things to say, it's paying it forward. And so that's a lot of what's going on at these football camps right now. Yeah, you never know what touch point, what moment is going to sway somebody one way or the other and how that can affect. It's it's a conveyor belt. It's a layered thing. There's no doubt about it. It's about who you know. It's networking. It happens in football as well. Number four, really cool news coming out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, former Wolverine wrestling star Adam Kuhn, three-time All-American. He has signed with the Titans. He's 6'5", 300 pounds, Played at Fowlerville High, star linebacker. He did play some offensive line at the high school ranks. Never played for Michigan. He focused on wrestling, but he is now going to try to make the Titans as an offensive lineman, likely on the inside, after missing out on the Olympics in wrestling. John, you've got to be some kind of special to do this. So what are your thoughts, and what must he get up to speed on most quickly? Because... This is fleeting. He's got probably two and a half months, and that's his chance, and it might be his only one. Well, he's got two and a half months if he wants to make the 53-man roster, and he certainly can because he's a he's a phenomenal athlete. So it, for him, the same things that I just talked about, what Michigan football players should be doing right now, he's got to be trying to figure out, okay, what type of, you know, what does it mean to have balance? What is it? What are the steps like? What am I punching? What am I doing? What are my pad levels supposed to be going through all of those things as much as he possibly can while trying to pick up the the playbook um, of the of the Tennessee Titans? He's a smart kid, too. So he's going to be able to do that just fine. But what the coaches are going to be looking for is, can I develop this young man into a, a, a NFL football player. And if he doesn't make the 53-man roster, there is a practice squad. And so he can use that to continue to develop himself and make himself available every single week because if somebody gets hurt, hey, maybe we have to have uh, Adam come in and and play for a game. And, you know, what what is he going to be ready at that time? You know, who knows? But I do know, and, and I talked to Mike Martin. Uh, he called me um, last Saturday to, to give me the heads up that, you know, Adam Kuhn was, you know, had signed with the Tennessee Titans. And, and we talked a little bit about some things that he could be doing and working on. And I'm really excited to see what he can do with this opportunity because, yeah, there is two and a half months to make the 53-man roster, but he does have a little bit more time if he's able to get far enough along the road that he doesn't make the 53-man roster, but he can show that he's got promise, he's got talent, he's got ability. Um, he can make that practice squad and work his way, continue to work his way up the, the ladder. I would have to imagine from a wrestling versus football standpoint just how you make contact, how you approach the blocking 
aspect has to be big, right? Because there's certain things you can do in wrestling that you can't in football that can be flagged, that can be problematic. Well, you, you just have that? to be good at getting away with it. You just have to, to, to learn some of those tricks. I'm sure, yeah, there are some obvious things that you might not be able to do. Uh, but again, it's not WWF out there. So um, there are some things that, uh, some tricks that me he may have up his sleeve that he could teach some of those other guys as well. But the the basics of balance, body control, what's my body doing? How do I get it from point A to point B? And, and all of those things. Um, and let's face it, especially if he's going to be inside at center guard, there's a lot of grappling that goes on in there. So he's going to have, you know, already some skills that will be to his advantage. Yeah, it's not like the first version of the XFL. You could just bring a steel chair out there, or some brass knuckles, and just let it go, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, number five, uh, interesting news reported by Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. Something similar from ESPN in terms of college football playoff discussions. In essence, Over the next few weeks, there will be some meetings that will discuss the viability, the potential options of keeping the college football playoff at four, potentially expanding it to something like six, eight, 12, 16. And Thamel reported that in advance of these meetings, quote, while it's unfair to say momentum has built toward a 12-team playoff, Before models have been presented to the commissioners or presidents, the 12-team model has emerged as the favorite outcome over the eight-team playoff within the industry, end quote. One other interesting one that he got from an industry source, according to Thamel, quote, I do believe they've looked at all kinds of different things, but I haven't heard, I haven't even heard an option B discussed in any detail, and that is in reference to option A being 12 teams. John, that's the one I've pushed for. I think that is the best of all worlds and the best possibility. What are your thoughts? Um, I I originally thought that they would go with eight. Um, and again, we don't know necessarily what they're going to go with. I do think it's safe to say that there is going to be an expansion. When they originally had the college football playoffs, it was a 12-year contract, and I believe there's four years left on that contract. I don't know that we'll see it before the end of that contract. We might be able to, but it's still a couple of years down the road. I thought that they would slowly expand, maybe start with six, maybe go to eight. I thought we would eventually end up at 12 just because once you make that jump and you go to 12, you're not coming back. You're not going to say, oh, we're going to go from 12 back to four. We're going to go from 12 down to six. So I thought they'd ease into it a little bit, but I do like... And, you know, I'm sure there's different variations that they're thinking about. The one that I think is gaining the most traction of that 12-team playoff is that the first four teams would get a bye. The other eight teams would play. And they would play on local campus, um, you know, on campus, those those first four games. And then, obviously, they would play against the other four teams. And then we would continue to whittle it down until we got a national champion. I think there are a few things that this has great benefit for. We have seen for, a, for what, three years now that the Pac-12 has been left out of the college football playoffs. Um, that's not good for college football. I'm not a everybody-gets-a-gold-star kind of guy, but when you're talking about money, which is what this all comes down to, you want to make sure that you go from coast to coast, you go from north to south, and include as many different fan bases as possible. Um, so I think that's great to, to make sure that you have an automatic bid from every conference so that all the fan bases, all the conferences will be involved. You're going to have a group of five. You're going to have some at-large bids. It's going to be more inclusive. And 
in being more inclusive and having more player or more teams, you're also going to have more of those star players, the ones that people want to see play in those bowl games. So you're not going to you're going to have 12 teams where you're it's unlikely you're going to see opt-outs. And I think that's another uh, you know, unintended consequence, another side benefit of getting more of those players on the field so that we as college football fans can enjoy them playing as much as possible at this level. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting, the the counter argument and, and people wanting it to stay at four of, well, you just enter these teams in and they're not going to win the national championship. Well, Oral Roberts wasn't going to win the national championship in college basketball, but they enhanced the NCAA tournament last year by winning two games, almost winning a third. So I understand that, of course, but if you have an opportunity for a Coastal Carolina or a Cincinnati to make this big upset, it's going to enhance. They don't have to win the national championship for it to be better. The other thing that was interesting, too, is that uh, Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director for Notre Dame, is someone who is in this. It's the 10... Uh, league commissioners and then Swarbrick because, you know, Notre Dame is very special and all of that. And uh, an argument against eight, if you do five conference champions and an at-large, is that from Notre Dame's perspective, you're whittling it from four at-larges in essence because there is no, I mean, it's just a committee, to two. Mm -hmm. He's got sway in that room. That right there might be enough to say. And the SEC is looking at that similarly, too. And obviously, Greg Sankey has his pull. So I, I just think a lot's leading toward 12. I think it can help the bowl game set up as well. Uh, it, it just That's what it feels like to me right now. Well, you're, you're not wrong in the fact that Notre Dame feels they're very special and they want to have as many opportunities as possible. And going from four to two just doesn't seem fair to Notre Dame, does it? No, can't ruffle any of those feathers, that's for sure. Congratulations to them on absolutely all of their success. The Golden Domers, they're special. Yeah. All right, number six, John, we're about to get into some Wisconsin talk. Uh, This is the last of six straight seasons with a matchup against Wisconsin. Remember, the Big Ten created those six-year windows with an annual interdivision game. Those for the last five years have been, of course, Michigan and Wisconsin. It's been Ohio State, Nebraska, Michigan State, Northwestern, Penn State, Iowa. Only one that's permanent is Indiana and Purdue. They'll do that every year because of their rivalry. Starting in 2022, six new matchups along with Indiana and Purdue, including some good ones, Michigan, Nebraska, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Minnesota. Do you like this method? I mean, we, we got a little bit of a taste in college football outside of the Big Ten of, of 10 conference games in some leagues. Uh, do you wish they would continue this where you have this big run or could they just balance this out a little bit more and basically you'd play every team once every two years in essence? For, for reference, too, we'll see Wisconsin for a sixth straight year and then Michigan and the Badgers will only play once over the next four years. We don't know beyond 2025, but it'll be 2024. So this will be Michigan's last trip to Madison for at least four seasons. Um, I don't like it, um, and it's simply for selfish reasons, um, and some of them for football reasons. I don't like it. Over the last six years, we don't get a chance to play Iowa all the time. We haven't had a chance to play uh, Minnesota all the time, and that's obviously the brown jug. There are just some opponents on the other side that you would like to see on a more regular basis. I would prefer that they would limit the number of, of – call them preseason games, non-league games, to, to one, maybe two, and include another Big Ten game. Uh, I just think it would be 
it would be more fun for the fan bases. Obviously, those that have very storied traditions or very very storied matchups that we would get a chance. I I just I'm still coming to grips with the fact that we don't play Iowa every year. Um, it's going to be disappointing that we don't get a chance to play Wisconsin every year like we have. Um, and it's it's just but that's what happens when you have a, such a large conference. You you have to choose who you can play, who you can't play, and you're going to have to try and make it fair as well. Um, I just think that there's there are some ways that they could tweak it if they will, if they won't, who knows. Uh, but it's uh, it'll be nice to have Nebraska on the schedule uh, every year for six years. It's not as bad in the Big Ten as it is in some other spots. SEC has eight uh, conference games, and they have one protected interdivision rivalry. So then you face one team from the other division every year it takes a while to get around all that so it's not ideal but it is better than a lot of situations all right number seven john big 10 west i know it was uh, northwestern's won the two of the last three titles iowa of course is always a factor but it, it does still feel like wisconsin is the top program in this division what stands out about this team and that program as a whole heading into this the, the final of six straight years michigan will see him in the regular season well, what stands out about them is that they're always a very consistent team. You know exactly what you're going to get when you face Wisconsin. They're going to be physical. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to hit you in the mouth. They're going to do it with a big offensive and defensive line. Defensively, they're going to be, you know, in, in the secondary, especially at the linebacker position, it's going to be all about speed and attack and uh, creativity, especially with Jim Leonard at the defensive coordinator spot. Offensively, We've seen so many good running backs at Wisconsin. Now, this year, um, they don't have that Jonathan Taylor. They don't have some of those individuals, but they've got some good candidates. And I'm not going to spoil it because Matt LePay is going to go through everything for us, um, who is the play-by-play voice of the Wisconsin Badgers. But offensively, it's, it's about that offensive line. Year in, year out, they find individuals, they develop individuals, and there are a great offensive line on a yearly basis. That's what you can count on. The wild card this year, and we saw it a little bit last year's early against Illinois, is Graham Mertz, the quarterback. Five-star quarterback going to Wisconsin, and there's a lot of talk about what he is able to do at that position, and it's another element. Yeah, they've had a couple of individuals be good quarterbacks. Last one was probably Russell Wilson, but to have the ability to stretch the field, to have a quarterback that can reliably go deep all the time, pair that with a big offensive line, physical offensive line, and a good run game that makes them very dangerous. And like you said, it probably the favorite going into this season in the Big Ten West. John, there is a bacon-themed restaurant in Wisconsin. It's in Brookfield, not too far from Milwaukee, on the way to Madison, called Saloon on Calhoun with Bacon. The with Bacon is actually in the title. And pre-COVID, they had a bacon happy hour, 4 to 7 p.m. every day, all-you-can-eat bacon. Also have bacon-wrapped mozzarella sticks, a Mac smack-up bacon Alfredo, which is mac and cheese and bacon Alfredo on the same plate, divided on the plate by a bacon strip. And also on Sundays, they have a bacon and eggs Bloody Mary. I don't know if you've ever been to this place, but I know I do know Madison is, is very near and dear to your heart from a food standpoint. So where are your top stops, and, and what are you salivating over for that trip in October? 
Well, you just completely blew my mind because I didn't have any idea that this was in Wisconsin. I'm not far. I'm not sure how far of a drive this is from Madison. This might be a. I'm going to have to leave early and make sure to stop there on the way out to Madison. But it's Madison is one of those cities where downtown Madison and there's a number of great pubs. There's a number of great restaurants that you get a chance to go to. It really doesn't matter which one you pick because you're going to end up at three or four different ones because it's a, it's a clean city. It's a safe city. It's a, it's just a, and it's a great college town with a great environment, a great setting. There's so much that I enjoy. And that's part of selfishly why I'm disappointed that we won't have Wisconsin on the schedule. And I've got a lot of former teammates uh, in the NFL that are Wisconsin Badgers. And um, that's why this game is so important because if we're not playing but once in the next four years, this is a must win game for those of us that have, uh, you know, maybe a couple of uh, uh, side wagers. You know, you got to wear a shirt uh, on a day or two out of the year if you lose this game. So um, this one is extremely important. It is, and, and Matt LePay does a great job in getting us ready for it. He does, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Matt LePay has been around since Coach Alvarez was coaching, since uh, Paul Christ was a player. Um, so he's got a lot of great perspective. Uh, Jim Leonard, who's also their defensive coordinator, was a player there. So Matt LePay, um, I'm not going to spoil any more of it, uh, and I hope that everybody gets a chance to enjoy the conversation and the, uh, the preview of the Wisconsin Badgers with Matt LePay. Well, as we continue to make our trip around the Big Ten, uh, schedule for Michigan, uh, today's opponent is Wisconsin, and to to help us figure out what's going to happen in Madison this year, at least what Michigan is going to face, we've got Matt LaPay, the play-by-play voice for the Badgers. He's been doing it a long time, and Matt, first of all, welcome, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's good to be talking college football with the uh, positive feeling we're going to have a full go season. So I think we're all pretty excited about that. Yeah, and when you say full go, that's that's a full fall camp. We already had spring ball. It's full stadiums. It's everything involved that we know college football to be. And I know that you've been doing this a long time. And I want to talk to you about Coach Alvarez, uh, now AD Alvarez, in just a minute. But Last year, I know it was a weird feeling for us in the big house not to have fans. What was it like at Camp Randall to have an empty stadium and still playing football games? Yeah, the same thing. I think on the one hand, we were grateful that they had a season, you know, with all the doubts that everybody knows about. I guess we probably don't have to rehash all of that, the on-again, off-again nature of even having a season. But it was it was strange. I mean, they, they opened up against Illinois. It was a night game, which normally at, at Camp Randall or at the big house, you get a little extra energy, right, in the stadium. And, you know, the fake crowd noise was better than no crowd noise. But I think initially, John, that Wisconsin and probably the overwhelming majority of teams were so thrilled to have a game mm-hmm. that you focused on that and maybe less so on the atmosphere. But as the season went on, I just think, you know, the weather got colder. It, it just in teams that weren't playing up to their what they thought they would be, that got tougher. And just from a broadcast standpoint, it was the same thing. I try to trick myself into thinking, well, you know, you're, you're locked in. You're trying to just do your job. But, man, I can't wait till September 4th when I uh, get to call a game in front of real people again. It's it's going to be special, that's for sure. And um, I, Coach Alvarez is stepping down as athletic director. Um, obviously, we, we know what he meant to Wisconsin football as coach, where this program is now. Um, and I think most of us 
understand what he's meant to Wisconsin athletics. What does him stepping down, and, and I guess just a brief synopsis of what, in your opinion, has he meant to Wisconsin football and athletics? I think, John, in a nutshell, he's meant everything. Um, I mean, you know, we judge greatness times, you know, how many titles, how many national titles, Big Ten titles, all that. I tend to judge it more on where was the program when he arrived, where is the program today? And it's day and night. I mean, not only was the program struggling mightily in the late 80s, people, the fan base went from being angry to just not caring anymore. I mean, it was all they could do to get, you know, 30,000 people, 40,000 people in a nearly 80,000 seat stadium. So he had to get people to care. Um, and first and foremost, he had to recruit better players. And, and they became a team that, uh, you know, in the early years, you were just hopeful they could get to a bowl. And then when they won their first Big Ten title, you're thinking it might be a one-and-done kind of scenario. And, and in the 90s, they were very good. You know, the back-to-back Big Ten and Rose Bowl championships after the 98 and 99 season. He just he just made it important. And he set the bar to standards where they, that, that they haven't seen here. Um, it's now it's not going, just going to a bowl. It's, you know, how good of a bowl can you get back to the Rose bowl? Can you get into the mix for the college football playoff? Uh, it's really because of what he was able to do and his coaching staff and most importantly, the players. And I, I think, you know, like any number of other schools, you know, you need football to do well. And that allows the other sports to have the opportunity to, to have the, the resources to be competitive in their own sports. Um, but he has just been, uh, I, to me, and I, I know I'm biased here, but he's going to go down as one of the great coaches in the Big Ten and, and beyond because of what he did in elevating the program and making it a, a major player on the national stage. He's uh, He's been a great leader. Um, there's no doubt about that. I agree with you in the Big Ten on the national stage and what he's meant to college football, what he's meant to the Big Ten, um, and more specifically Wisconsin. I don't think there's there's any hiding um, what he's meant and his greatness. But now Paul Christ is the head football coach, has been for a number of years. What have you seen in this program? How does it reflect the personality of, of Coach Christ? It's interesting because uh, the term personality of Coach Chris, like a lot of people are going, does he have one? Uh, but I've known him. My first year covering the program was his uh, final year as a player. So you know, I've gotten to, to know him pretty well over the years. And the Paul Chris that you see in a news conference isn't really the Paul Chris that I know. I mean, he's a funny guy. He's got that dry sense of humor, but a quick wit about him. And, and the players see that. You know, the players can have some fun with them when they see him in a maybe in a news conference setting. Uh, you know, he's the anti rah rah guy, but he's still, he gets his point across. And it's a team that, um, you know, similar to Barry, was more on the substance and less on the sizzle, right? Uh, you, you know, you might see a, a gimmick play here or there with Paul that you would rarely, if ever, see with Barry. But it still comes down to, you know, the toughness. Who's going to be tougher at the line of scrimmage? Um, you, will, you still want to be able to run the ball. Um, you know, they'd like to be able to throw it more efficiently. Um, and, some years with Paul, either as a coordinator, as a head coach, they've been able to do that. But he's definitely a, a substance over all the all the other bells and whistles. And I think the players that that come to this program appreciate that. There are a lot of different ways, right? Uh, we see it in the Big Ten. A lot of different approaches that head coaches have, and you know, nothing is right or wrong. Uh, it just it depends on the individual. But I think they see Paul as being genuine, true to himself and not trying to hit a button and be somebody who he really isn't. 
in front of large groups or media gatherings, and I think players tend to appreciate that. Well, the one thing that we know about Paul Chris, what we've, what I've always known, whether as a player, former teammates that I've had, is that it's a physical brand of football. You know, when you play Wisconsin, you better be the team that comes and and brings your your lunch pail because whether it's on offense or defense, it's going to be physical and it's going to be predicated on running the football. And I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was, I don't want to say a shift last year, but there's a shift because of a player that you guys have, and that is Graham Mertz at the quarterback position. We saw, and you mentioned they started off the season against Illinois, 20 of 21. What a great first game for Graham Mertz. What does he bring, and what are your expectations for him now as the second-year starter? Yeah, I think uh, he does bring a different dimension. Um, You know, people here 10 years ago, they saw Russell Wilson, who was electric, and you know, before you know, Scott Tolzien had a couple of really good years too, but you know it's it's been a, a position where everybody we all focus on the quarterback in football, right? You want that electrifying guy, and I think Graham Mertz has the potential to be that type of talent. Um, the the problem that they ran into last year, John, was that well, first he, he ended up testing positive for COVID, and that mm-hmm. knocked him out for a time after that first game. But a lot of other guys were out either with COVID or in many cases due to injury, including his most experienced wide receivers and Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. And then it just became a group of really young guys who had to play. Chim Ray DK, a uh, Wisconsin kid, I think could be a very good receiver. Devin Chandler. There's a lot of learning on the fly. And even the, you know, the tailback position, which has been a really good position for the Badgers for a long time, that became a, a, an inexperienced group for the most part. And it's still going to be a question this season. So I think with Graham, you know, there's a confidence about him. He does have, I'll use the overter- overused term, he has a little swagger to him. But, I, you know, I think with Graham, he just first off needs to have better luck with guys around him being healthy. If he can get that, then I think this team can, can be a, a dangerous team throwing the ball this season. It's interesting that you say uh, the running back position has been a really good position. I, I think that's a bit of an understatement. Um, and, <laughs> it's, been, I, it's been okay. It's been okay. okay. Yes, there we go. Down that same path. Uh, but I'll, I'll get to the running back position in a minute. But you mentioned two of those guys, Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor. I know they're back. They're going to be super seniors. If they can stay healthy, that combo of Graham Mertz and his, you know, the, the swag that he has, the confidence that he has, his ability to – go deep what does it mean for this offense to have that big play capability down the field yeah to be able to stretch the field which was something as the season went on last year they just really didn't have an ability to get that done um you know i think that there's a skill set there with these younger guys but they were inexperienced and it and it showed i think just the you know the versatility too because they can use those guys you know, they use danny a little bit in the jet sweep sweep game but but kendrick Pryor can be very effective you know, with the jet sweep, uh, which they've liked to run for for years and years at Wisconsin. So, but to be able to to you know get some stuff done vertically, be able to stretch defenses a little bit, and if they can do that, you know that can open up some more opportunities for Jake Ferguson, who's an excellent tight end. It got to the point last year though he was really the only receiving legit experienced receiving threat that they had, and opposing defenses knew it, but still. You know, he was able to to get some things done uh, as a pass receiver from the tight end position. But if they could, you know, get this with Pryor and with uh, with Danny Davis and the younger guys with Chandler, DK, and then there's a guy who's not young, but he had a good spring, had some good work in the spring, and AJ Abbott. 
someone who might be starting to emerge. And to me, that's going to be really important for, for this offense. We all know that Wisconsin loves to run the ball and usually does it extremely well. But, you know, Paul Chris talks a lot about balance, and he defines it. It's not necessarily meaning you're 250 rushing, 250 passing every week, but you need to be able to do both. If there's an opponent who really can load up and, and slow you down running the game, you have to have that ability to throw the ball. And last year that became, you know, kind of hit and miss with this team, actually both running and passing. But they have the capability to do both when you need it. That's how he defines balance. Um, I'm glad we finally we, we drew out just a little bit of a better descriptor that you can run the ball extremely well. Um, so let's talk <laughs> about a couple of those positions that have, as you say, they've been really good or they've been okay. That's the offensive line in the running back position. Let's start up front. You've got four starters coming back, um, and I know that uh, Logan Bruss is, is the big name uh, that's coming mm-hmm. back, uh, playing offensive tackle. What can you tell us about those guys? And uh, I know you got a super freshman coming in. Are we, any chance that we get a chance to see? Uh, is it Nolan Rucci? Yeah, Nolan Rucci, who's uh, Hayden Rucci, who's a tight end. It's his younger brother, a kid out of Lidditz, Pennsylvania. Uh, how much we would see remains to be seen. There's another guy, though, John, a redshirt freshman, Jack Nelson. He's mm-hmm. from uh, Stoughton, Wisconsin, just south of Madison. Uh, his uh, his father actually played for for Wisconsin back in the back in the eighties. Uh, they're moving him to guard. It looks like this season he's pretty highly regarded offensive lineman. Uh, you know they've been able to nab a couple of four star five star guys, which is rather uncommon for for Wisconsin and recruiting to do that. They want to be better though. That that was another area. Again, they had to do a lot of mixing and matching because of health issues. Uh, the reputation is is excellent. Uh, for a long time in the offensive line. They want to try to get back to that. Caden Lyles, who got hurt uh, late in the year in a game against Indiana, he's back. He's in line to be the center. Um, but you're right. You mentioned Logan Bruss. If there's an anchor to the line, it's probably going to be with, with Logan Bruss. But they're going to rely a lot on Tyler Beach at left tackle uh, to be able to help protect Mertz. Um, they, Joe Rudolph, the offensive line coach, was a, a great offensive lineman in the 90s for Wisconsin. Uh, he really... Uh, really preaches versatility, be able to move guys around, get the five best. You, you hear that all the time. Uh, but they think they're starting to build a little bit of depth up there. But it's, you know, if this team is going to be able to do what it wants to do offensively, uh, that that is obviously going to be a critical component to it. Yeah, and you're not the first guy that uh, that's talked about the versatility up front because with injuries – uh, with guys leaving to go to the NFL, with transfers, it you really do have to have that flexibility. And I think that's the way football is going um, in the NFL. Some you know you you have your tackles, but then those guys inside need to be you know play all three positions. They also need to be able to step out in a pinch and play those tackle positions. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, which Coach Rudolph is able to put together. And then in the backfield, um, Jalen Berger. Uh, we saw, I think it was last year, um, that he made the numbers easy for us. I think it was 15 carries in every single game. Um, That's right. <laughs> which I think is it's just it's an odd stat, but it's one that, that makes life easy for us. Um, is he going to be the number one option back there? Uh, and how did those guys come through in terms of health through the spring? Yeah, that's a position where watching spring ball, we didn't see a lot of those guys out there for any extended period of time. And I, and I think now, and, and I think we all get it too, if you have some doubt, you're going to hold them out in spring ball. But Jalen is a guy, again, he had to miss a little time. He had a positive test during the course of the season. So his workload was, was limited. 
But I think if there's somebody that, that has the fan base, the, you know, really excited, it could be what Jalen Berger potentially could do. Another New Jersey kid, Wisconsin's had great luck getting running backs from, from that neck of the woods. Um, uh, he's somebody, he says he's a coach's dream. He says next to nothing in interviews, and uh, but he loves the game. Paul, Paul Christ has talked to him about that multiple times, how – uh, you know, the work ethic is is outstanding with Berger, and he's someone who you would think would be in line to get north of 15 carries a game. But a, another guy I, I'm really intrigued with, and it's been it, – uh, felt bad for the kid, it's Isaac Garendo, a guy out of Indiana who can run like the wind when he's healthy. The problem is he hasn't been healthy. He's had a hamstring issues the last couple of years. Again, he was in and out of work during spring ball. Julius Davis, another guy uh, from the state of Wisconsin who they had one carry and he's had one college career carry there a name to keep in mind though. And as we are into this transfer era now, Ches Malusi, a transfer from Clemson. Um, he wasn't going to play a ton last year. They had this guy named Travis Etienne who was, yeah. who was halfway decent, but he's someone who brings some experience, a uh, four-star kid out of, out of Florida, out of Southwest Florida. Again, you know, we haven't seen him in this program, so I don't want to say that he's going to be the next big thing. But the running back room, I think, is going to be rather crowded. They have three true freshmen coming in as well. But to me, it's going to start with Berger. I'm intrigued with Malusi. And then just see if these other guys can can get back on the field and stay on the field, having better luck with injuries. I, I think your description of Jalen Berger in talking to the media, I think players, one, they gravitate to coaches that they can relate to. Um, but they also mirror their coaches. And so if he doesn't say a lot but loves the game of football, I think that's a great uh, a great pairing with him and, and Coach Christ. Yeah, uh, well said. Defensively, with Jim Leonard, um, and it's a lot of the conversation is all about linebackers and the fact that they play this 3-4 defense. We've seen a number of linebackers come out of Wisconsin and, and have great years um, and go on to play in the NFL. You're missing Isaiah Loudermilk up front and some size. Tell us a little bit about that front seven in regards to who's going to replace Isaiah up front and some of those those linebackers, maybe a uh, a Jack Sanborn that we might see a bunch of. Yeah, first up front, uh, another Isaiah. Isaiah Mullins is someone who would probably be in line to get a lot of work uh, in, in the front. A player that Ross Kalaji, who's now the defensive line coach, he had been in the strength and conditioning room. Uh, he was a terrific defensive lineman in the 90s for, for Barry Alvarez. He's really high on Matt Henningsen. Been around for a while. You know, he's a, an incredibly bright guy, you know, an academic star, and, and pretty good on the football field as well. So he could be kind of that leader up front. Keanu Benton at the nose, a uh, kid from Janesville, Wisconsin, got hurt late in the year. But he's someone who was real raw as he came into the program, but they love him. You know, they, you know, Paul doesn't. Uh, he doesn't throw out Valentines all that much with, with players publicly, but he thinks that, that this guy has the goods to be a star up front. Behind him is Bryson Williams, who's battled some injuries in his career, kid from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, but they they think up front they have a chance to be pretty good. The linebacking core, again, could be a strength of the team. You mentioned Jack Sanborn. He and Leo Chanel, the inside linebackers. Uh, Sam, that that's a really, really solid duo. They had to play a ton last year. I know they're, they're trying to build some depth at the inside linebacker spots. Mike Maskalunas has been around a long time. He's someone I think uh, Bob Bostad, the inside backers coach, has more and more trust in. But, you know, they're trying to get to a point where they can give a little relief when they need to with, with Sanborn and Chanel. 
A player, though, to really watch is Nick Herbig, outside linebacker from Hawaii. I think he, you know, he, he's going to, he could be that next in the line of disruptors. They've had a lot of really good outside linebackers come through the program the last several years. And Herbig is a guy who, you know, his older brother was in the NFL. Um, he just uh, loves the game, all the cliches, but, you know, he has a burst to him, a suddenness. Remember Jim Leonard talking with him before last season? He just said, uh, he's different. Um, and you like to hear that, you know, different in a, in a good way. So uh, defensively, John, they, they seem to figure it out. Jim Leonard has done a great job. He had Dave Aranda before that, Justin Wilcox, the guys went on to be head coaches. But Jim Leonard is a bright guy. Players love him. He had a chance to be the coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, and uh, Jim chose to stay at Wisconsin. So that gives you an idea of the reputation that Jim has in running the defense. Well, and I know that you know Jim Leonard as as not just a coach, but also as a player. How does how does his style as a player? How has he been as a coach? And how do the players gravitate or or mirror his image as a former player and coach? Jim is a guy who he, he like he likes players to be who they are. You know, kind of, you know, don't be afraid to show some emotion on the field. That wasn't really a big part of, of Jim as a player, but he gained so much respect um, in, in his playing career, in his time with the Jets and with mm-hmm. the Ravens, uh, you know, with the Cleveland Browns. So a guy from a tiny town in Wisconsin, Tony, Wisconsin, I mean, the ultimate small town kid. Uh, became someone who, you know, athletically was really gifted. You look at him right now, and you, you, your first question is, "What time is recess?" I mean, he still has that really youthful look <laughs> yes. to him. But, but the dude is smart now, and he's been around, been around the block a little bit. And players love him because he's not a yeller. You know, he gets his point across, but they love how he teaches the game. And at times, a defense can look complicated to a lot of us, but the players say he keeps it pretty simple. You know, on this play. This is your job. You've got one job on this play. Uh, but he doesn't, uh, you know, when this defense is right, he has opposing offenses uh, on their heels, just not knowing where the pressures are going to come from. But, you know, he's a defensive back, an all-American you know, defensive back in his time. But everybody on the defense, and especially the DBs, really, really love him because he's great and instilling confidence in these kids. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the DBs. As we talked to Matt LaPlay, uh, who is the play-by-play voice um, for the Wisconsin Badgers, and um, they've got three of four starters returning corners and safeties. Does it give them an advantage to have that experience coming back in a defense that can be creative? They, you know, Jim Leonard likes to bring pressure from all over. We see it in linebackers all the time, but we also see it from corners and safeties. Having that experience, does it allow Coach Leonard to get a little bit more into that creative mindset of where is the pressure coming from? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, and that, that is the hope going into the season. Got the experience back there. He likes to play a lot of guys in the secondary. Uh, they're probably not unlike most programs now in college football where you are predominantly playing nickel. And a you know, guy like Fayon Hicks, if you look up a depth chart right now, you're going to see him as a corner. He, he's that, he could be the slot, work in the slot. Caesar Williams has been around a long time. Alexander Smith is, is a guy. He's not going to probably be listed as a starter on a depth chart, but he's someone that you could see on the field quite a bit. They want to create some more turnovers. The best teams, no surprise, the best teams around here have been teams that can you know have a nice plus number 
in the turnover margin. And they, they didn't think they got their hands on enough balls last year in, in the passing game or particularly in the passing game. They'd like to be able to go, go grab a few more, you know, get a few more picks this season. And I think he's got the guys who are capable of doing that. Do you think this Wisconsin team is built? Um, you know, obviously in the in the West, there you're going to be competing with Iowa. Um, you know, uh, Brett Bielema is uh, who you guys yeah. are familiar with is is back in the division uh, there at Illinois. Um, but is it built to make a run at the Big Ten title? I think so. I think defensively, they're they're going to be in in every game, or they have the, at least on paper, they have that chance to be in every game that they play. You know, to me, it's going to be the offense. Can can they get healthy? Can they have that balance that we talked about a few minutes ago? Uh, can they get back to running back you as they like to pride themselves on on having that uh, that unofficial title? Um, but to me, it's you know not just the running game, but can they get some things done through the air with with Grant? He's got the good footwork to be able to extend plays. He can pull it down and run when he needs to, but. Can Davis and Pryor, a guy named Jack Dunn, been around a long time, another one of those super seniors. You know what you're going to get. You know, not a spectacular player, but steady, very reliable. Uh, but to me, it's going to it's going to be that. You know, can they can they get some more points on the board? Can they win those shootout kind of games if they run into those during the season? But the division, you're right, it's going to be fun. I mean, Brett's a friend, known him for a long time. He and Paul are quite a bit different. It yes. kind of goes back to what we were talking about, different ways to do this. <laughs> yes. But Brett, you know, for every, you know, he, he's got this way of, uh, you know, saying things that's going to stir stuff up. But he followed the legend here and won some championships. So he, I think the Illinois program has gotten better. Minnesota, another guy who goes about it differently, and P.J. Fleck. But his teams have been pretty good. So I, I think the – I think the Big Ten West will be pretty interesting again this fall. Well, Madison, Wisconsin is always one of my favorite trips uh, every other year so far for the, at least the past six years we've had a chance to make that trip. And and I'd love to hear from you, a guy that gets to see it you know, year in, year out, game in, game out in, in every season. What makes Madison, Wisconsin so special? Well, it's, it's a beautiful city for one. You know, it's it's clean. You've got the lakes. It just it's just a picturesque town. Uh, you know, on a day like you know, in the middle of the summer or in the fall when the leaves start to turn, and game days they're happenings. They're parties uh, here, and it's like it is in Ann Arbor. Uh, but it's a it's a big deal here when the Badgers have a home game, especially the big games when when the Wolverines come here and, and other you know other the Blue Bloods, so mm-hmm. to speak come into Madison that that is a it's a big deal and then the fans and look as we mentioned a, f- a little while ago with Barry uh the what defines a good season is a heck of a lot different now as opposed to what it was maybe 30 35 years ago but I, I think for the most part fans here have a great perspective it, it's a social thing to come to the game and to cheer on your team but it's all day and all night long a party and when they play jump around at the end of the third quarter it's always fun for us to look next door especially those the first time guys who come through here maybe in a non-conference game where they feel that press box sway a little oh, bit yes. wondering what's going on they're feeling a little uncomfortable it's a it's a hard tradition i think to be to the big ten or anywhere else yes i uh i know that when that starts happening uh i've been in that press box witnessed that same thing and i'm just hoping they've gone with flat screen tvs because i remember looking up <laughs> And seeing that big tube TV shaking up up atop of my head and wondering how well it was bolted up there. Um, I, I think I think they do, but uh, yeah, we're a little, our press box isn't quite as good as what you got at the big house. But 
I think it's slowly but surely, John, we're making some improvements over here. Well, hey, that first Saturday in October, I'm hoping that it is beautiful weather, um, full color uh, on the trees. As you already mentioned, the town of Madison will be jumping and and it is packed and I'll be jumping around when they when they play that jump around song. I know it doesn't matter if you're a Wisconsin Badger or if you're the visiting team. That is one of the classic moments in a college football Saturday that I can't wait to experience. Matt, thanks for joining us, um, and uh, look forward to catching up with you on that first Saturday in October. John, good talking to you. Have a great summer. We'll look forward to seeing you this fall. Well, as always, thanks to Matt for his time and insight into what Michigan has uh, uh, ahead of them in the Wisconsin Badgers. Again, it's the first Saturday in October, October 2. Uh, if you missed anything on uh, so far in our review of this uh, you know, football schedule, you can go back on In the Trenches. We've covered all of the games up till uh, the first Saturday in October, as I mentioned, with Wisconsin. Uh, Rutgers was last week. So if you want to go back and find out and get a preview of any of those matchups, please do. You can find it on MGO Blue Podcast with John Jansen. There's, that's also where you will find Conquering Heroes. And this week, Jerry Clayton, James Henry, head coaches for Michigan Track and Field. Uh, they are out in Oregon right now for the NCAA Outdoor Championships. Uh, and on Wednesday, uh, Brian Bush had a chance to sit down on Defend the Block with Kim barnes the head coach for women's basketball here at Michigan, as well as new assistant coach Harry Rafferty. If you missed any of that stuff, make sure you go back again. It's MGO Blue Podcast with John Jansen. And make sure that you stay tuned in here as we continue to move through the schedule. We're also going to give you a chance to – Next week or the week after, we will have uh, the newest addition to Michigan's coaching staff, and that is Steve Klinkscale. We'll get an idea of uh, what brought him to Ann Arbor, why it was important for him to come to Ann Arbor, and what he brings to the program. So for all of that information leading up to fall camp, stay tuned. You'll find it here on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen, part of our Michigan Athletics Podcast Network. M Go Blue Podcasts. The preceding is a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.